Do you ever feel like you'd like to rewire your brain, get rid of the glitches in it that stop you living the life you want? Melissa Hoganboom says she's done just that, or a version of it, a good start, if you like, in six weeks. How I Rewired My Brain in Six Weeks is the headline on the BBC. Melissa's the author of The Motherhood Complex, a book that examines biological and psychological changes during pregnancy and motherhood. She's also won awards for her filmmaking. She's what they call a leader at the BBC. She launched and is in charge of the documentary site BBC Real. Good morning, Melissa. Thanks for joining us. Morning. Nice to speak with you. There is growing evidence that simple everyday changes to our lives can alter our brains and change how they work, unquote. So you are lying inside an MRI scanner to find this out. What are or were you hoping to find out underneath that scanner when you first went underneath it, please? Well, I set out to make this documentary to learn about how we could change your own brain so I thought that I mean that's quite a powerful concept right if you go through life um, obviously everything we learn every time we learn new information or learn a new skill our brain is changing and I knew that because I'm a science journalist but I thought there must be a way to you know improve this process um, and that's why, why I found myself in an MRI scanner getting my brain scanned because uh, obviously I had to do a before and after um, but it's it's really strange when you're lying in the scanner because you you really can't do anything to distract yourself. You've not got a phone, and that, that's quite a rare situation in, in this busy life that we have lead these days. Um, so I was just starting to think about you know life, my history, you, all these strange things creep up in 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 your memories, um, and then thinking about oh gosh is what I'm doing actually going to make a difference at all? So it's it's quite a strange process because there's a lot riding on essentially your mind. Um, so it felt quite meta. Understood. We'll get back, if we may, to what you found had happened to your brain six weeks later. But was there stuff, without prying too much, was there stuff in your life you wanted to change, you wanted things to improve in your brain, in your life? It- well, I think we all want to feel less stressed and less, um, you know, like bombarded by all the information we're taking in on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I admittedly am not a target audience for the type of intervention I was doing. I'm not a particularly stressed person, but I do lead quite a stressful life. So I know that sounds like a, quite a contradiction, but, you know, I have a intense full-time job um i was managing quite a large team and i have two young children so i'm constantly rushing about from place to place you know meeting work deadlines then making sure i finish at a certain time to you know get out of the door and pick the children up then trying to stay calm when they're inevitably you know demanding Mm -hmm. snacks to their tired at the end of the day and then trying to fit in exercise as well so if you add all that together um it adds to quite a busy mind generally and i'm not um, abnormal in this you know most of us have busy minds and when you take a kind of a, a moment to think about this and step back and that that's what I was really hoping to get out of it I was like well if if I learn how to um, notice when life feels particularly stressful and give myself the tools to you know feel essentially feel calmer then that's gonna that's gonna you know help me going forward in whatever situation I find myself in so that that was the ultimate goal really and innumerable people can completely identify with what you've just said, I think. So just generally now, neuroplasticity, changing the brain uh, or changes in the brain, 
was uh, thought to be the sole preserve of the young. We now know it's not, Melissa, yes? Oh, absolutely. So literally everything we do can change the brain and it can happen all the way through into, you know, older age. Um, say you, someone has... Um, some kind of disease that affects their cognitive functioning or they have a stroke or an injury, uh, the brain can actually rewire itself to improve on the aspects that it's lost. I mean, a friend, a friend I go running with, she had um, quite a significant chunk of a benign tumor removed. So it wasn't a serious, it wasn't a cancerous tumor, but it affected the balance on one side of her brain, but her other side has actually learned to compensate. So it just shows that, um, you know, your brain can adapt in these really magnificent ways and tapping into that, neuroscientists can help speed up the process in essence. Yes, when you visited experts in their labs, you were made aware of some quite phenomenal achievements in neuroplasticity. I was reading you say about one chap who lost uh, power in his right limbs, able to forge new neural connections by playing simulated computer games. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So that's an, that's a vivid illustration of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Just by playing those games, it, it was, you know, enhancing the parts of his brain that was important for um, the motor skills that he'd lost. So it's in obviously you, it sounds quite simplistic when it's put that way, but there's a hard graft involved in this kind of rehabilitation. Someone has to have, you know, targeted intervention for hours and hours a day. Um, but if you compare that to, you know, several decades ago when maybe that wasn't known about or understood, there, there's definitely hope for people who've kind of lost control in certain parts of their body. Melissa Hogenboom is talking to us. So in normal sorts of lives, uh, neuroplasticity can be increased by what you're talking about, new experiences, learning new skills, exercise as well. You concentrate to a degree on mindfulness in your own case and mindfulness has its critics and doubters but I think there's no doubting that everyday versions of it can improve our mood and awareness is mindfulness essentially what you used in your hack of your own brain it is um, and I'd be honest when I went into it I didn't really know that much about mindfulness and kind of thought you know it's a type of meditation um, but, you know, I'm open-minded, I'll give it a go. So in my case, I set it up to two 15-minute sessions a day and the session changes as you go on. So I did it for six weeks. Ideally, some of these patients, you know, they do it for six months to see real differences. Um, but for six weeks, I had a guided session at the start and the end of the day where someone kind of te talks you through what to think and what to think about. Um not not just what to think about, but how it gives you permission to let your mind wander, but then reminds your mind to bring, to come back to the breath and focus on the breathing and focus on the body. Um, so it, it, what, what was really remarkable is you very quickly hone in on the fact of how busy your mind is on a on a daily basis. I mean, after this interview, go and sit down quietly, even for five minutes and try and think about just your breath or just nothing at all. And you'll notice suddenly you're thinking about what doctor's appointment you need to book or what holiday um, you you remember or, or the fact that you haven't texted a friend back and then you're suddenly thinking about that friend and maybe experiences you had with them three years ago in the pub. And then in the space of, you know, 
30 seconds to a minute, your mind has gone forwards, backwards, is thinking about something you need to do, something you haven't done, and thinking about maybe a positive and negative memory. And you can imagine if you if you if you're an experiencing a, a bout of anxiety or stress and your mind is doing that in detrimental ways, you're constantly focusing on the negative and you're you, you can't kind of get out of that spiral. You can you can sense how that could then quickly um become quite stressful so what this mindfulness does and what it really helped me with is that you kind of come back to a feeling of calm and you give yourself permission to think about the things that are stressing you out but then you teach your mind to kind of come back to thinking about the breath or or aspects of the body it also kind of teaches you to just to focus on your leg focus on your um, knee like it really kind of teaches you to try and think about nothing at all and that's what I found quite powerful Yes returning to the breath as they say in yoga uh, and it's a simple enough exercise in the description anyway and I can see how it lets us let go of busyness but my experience not that I'm going to talk about that much but I'm just trying to echo what other people may feel, have felt if they've tried mindfulness is that it can be a wrestling match getting your mind back to that place of simple observation and calm it it's willfully <laughs> wants to depart into those areas you describe and those thousands of thoughts that kind of suddenly crowd in yeah it's 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 kind of exhausting it sounds easy when I undertook it I naively thought oh that's easy you know half an hour a day but it's actually it's actually surprisingly difficult to just sit with your own thoughts and then try and control your thoughts into not going to places you essentially don't want them to do but what what the what can be quite clever about it is you can be mindful in many parts of life uh, a lot of my friends talk about how much they love cooking because they can just kind of let their mind loose and they don't have to think about you know the stresses of everyday life so there's loads of aspects of our life that are mindful and once you tap into kind of just letting your mind feel calmer and not so busy um you can realize that you can be mindful all the time i mean i say all this have i practiced it <laughs> since the course well not very often but it's absolutely something i would come back to if i was experiencing um severe stress so that i think i think that's having the tool to do it is the kind of first step really you did all this very deliberatively for six weeks you've told us about some of it that's not all of it. Where does playing a tambourine, for instance, come in? The start of the project was a documentary. So it's a half-hour documentary, um, and it's called Brain Hacks. And we didn't just want to give it the audience one hack. So mindfulness is the thread that goes throughout the documentary, but there's um, three aspects to it. So there's there was breathe, move, and create. So breathe is obvious, that's the mindfulness. Move is exercise and um, staying active and and healthy, and then create is learning new things. So throughout the documentary, I went through all those different processes and spoke to scientists that study neuroscientists, so that scientists that study the brain, um, and those aspects of either cognition and movement and creation, and learned how that ties into um, cognitive functioning. So that's why I was running on a Sicilian beach and playing the tambourine to signify music. I ordered sun-dried tomatoes in Italian as well. Um, and one of the neuroscientists I interviewed was based in Italy, as were the filmmakers. And Sicily is this beautiful um, place that has varied landscapes. So it was just a perfect kind of um, visual way to picture all the different elements I was trying to get into the film because we really wanted to make it visually 
appealing as well as powerfully powerful intellectually so like you were getting a all your senses stimulated by watching this which would hopefully encourage the audience to then also practice some of the the hacks things like you know the tambourine or simple instruments learning a phrase um going running doing novel experiences that's one one of the things that ties it all together as well so one one any aspect of these is a good brain hack but doing lots of concurrent new things so changing what you do to day to day giving your brain kind of a a boost if you will by giving yourself new experiences that's the that was the common thread throughout the documentary the next time i see someone running along a beach and playing the tambourine at the same time i will know that they have seen your doco absolutely they are trying to change their brain and so they should now fast forward to your return to the fmri scanner six weeks later melissa what did it show one was um, one half of my amygdala which is uh, the small almond-shaped structure in your brain which is really important for processing emotions so it, it reduced in volume just on the right side um which again is was seen in the literature um and the reason why is mindfulness um, apparently can reduce the size because it buffers stress in the amygdala. And the amygdala, when it's stressed, it grows. The part of my brain that responds to stress managed to kind of shrink in some way that was beneficial. And then another part that changed was um, this, my cingulate cortex, which is part of an area called the limbic system, which is also involved in emotional responses as well as behavioral. And it, it's part of what scientists call the default mode network. And this is a kind of an area of the brain with several different structures in it, which is active when the mind wanders and ruminates. So when you're thinking about lots of different aspects of your life and that can mind wandering can be a good thing but when it leads to rumination and worry, it can go into overdrive. Um, and that had increased in size in, in six weeks, um, which suggests increased control of that area, which I think was super exciting. And we, we again found published studies in the scientific literature that had seen similar results. So although the changes were small, it was only six weeks of an intervention, right? And you can't expect big changes after six weeks. I mean, the, the brain can't you can't change that much in, in only that short amount of time. But the, the scientists I spoke to were confident that had I carried on the intervention, you know, it would continue to change in this way. Yeah, the changes to the cingulate cortex I found especially interesting. Because, as you say, it's it's when um, it's the area where the mind wanders and ruminates. So it sounds like what you saw in your brain after six weeks could well be of use to people with conditions like ADHD. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure anyone who's got some kind of aspect of their life that makes them ruminate or makes them stressed or makes them go into overdrive, whether it's ADHD or any kind of um, you know, daily stresses of life, it, it could certainly benefit them. And I, th I think what it's important to notice as well is if if you've got a tool to keep you calm or to keep some of the more busy or worrying aspects of your thoughts at bay, whether or not it changes your brain, you know, this is going to be a positive thing. And I think what's a really important take home from this as well is the scientist I spoke to kept saying, you know, meditation isn't just sitting in a room, you know, cross-legged or um the mindfulness aspect of meditation you can bring into every part of your life and he really encouraged me to you know be mindful when I was cooking maybe when I was like on the tubes you know close my eyes and kind of 
let the outside world um, slip away a bit. So I think I think that aspect of it was just so powerful to know that it's available. And it's not easy. By no means is it easy, but it is something we can all do if we need it. And I think it it will and it does. I mean, I've I've had about hundreds of emails since that piece went out, you know, kind of thanking me for giving people the tools. I mean, they shouldn't be thanking me. They should be thanking the researchers, but just kind of saying, wow, I didn't, I knew this could be important, but I didn't realize just how I'm going to give it a go. Uh, So that, that, that when you see that kind of impact, it kind of makes you realize it's worth doing these kind of stories and sharing them with the public. Oh, absolutely. People want fixes for their two busy brains, basically, whether they have diagnosed conditions or not. I'm sure they were in some of the correspondence. So, how were you feeling? I mean, without the brain scan, would you have thought you had changed, that the hack had worked? I am an optimist by my nature, so I was kind of manifesting the fact. I, I went through the whole thing thinking, of course we're going to see results, don't worry. I did feel calmer. I mean, I was um, work was quite stressful during this period because um, we were undergoing lots of changes. So it wasn't like any one thing that was stressful. It was just there was a lot of people a bit anxious and you know managing that process was a little bit stressful and then trying to fit in the documentary with um the children and so everything did feel like there was a lot going on but I didn't feel stressed during that period and I do think that this helped with it. I'm inferring that in your case you may be especially at some point but who knows but basically you need to keep Let's talk about other people. You need to keep meditating. Maybe someone else needs to keep exercising. Someone else needs to stick with the computer games. Someone else needs to keep banging that tambourine. You can't just presumably rest on your laurels in case those brain areas that you're talking about atrophy again as well. I mean, what do you think about that? I think you do need to keep doing things that are active. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing, but absolutely, I mean... I haven't continued the half an hour of mindfulness, but sometimes when I can't sleep, I try and do some of the practices I learned because it does, one of the the great benefits actually really puts you to sleep. So it's quite hypnotic when you're listening to this voice that's telling you to think about your breath and think about your feet and the tips of your toes. And um, yeah, it's it's very very good at putting you to sleep, but I have um, continued to exercise intensely as well. And I and I did keep telling the psychologist, I said, I swear exercise is mindfulness just in a different way, because it does make me tap into that same kind of um, process where your mind isn't wandering as much. Or it does wander a little bit, but it wanders. It seems to wander in a positive way, because as we know, exercise gives you plenty of endorphins. And there is there's um, even some published research I came across that that showed that mindfulness in combination with exercise actually was this like extra boost. So I think it, for me, it what is all about variety. So you don't have to do any one thing intensely all the time, but doing a few things um, certainly helps. And just give, giving yourself um, a way, especially if if anyone is listening to this who is feeling stressed or is feeling like they've got a lot on, like giving yourself permission to go and do something else and prioritizing that because we're all busy. We all think we don't have time for exercise or meditation, but I bet you'll find if you're in your day, there is, there is some time there where, you know, instead of watching a half hour TV show, you go out and exercise and you will feel better for it. You know, yours is a very, has been a very interesting experiment. I suppose I'm left with the residual feeling of wondering why we fight 
so much against doing what people like you who've researched the area and all the scientists you talk to tell us to do or suggest that we do for extra happiness and stress reduction. It's interesting the conflict inside ourselves all the time. And maybe that's just because the world's too busy and that's you know why we find ourselves in that kind of mental quandary. Yeah, it's tricky. I think I'm sure I'm sure psychologists have studied this. It's really we we know what's good for us, but still we follow particular vices. <laughs> uh, but I, part of it's you know we live in the moment and we're not thinking about our death because we've got an optimism bias and there's always tomorrow and there's always tomorrow. There's yeah. lots of research into what people don't save for their pensions, right? It's because we a lot of us live in the moment and it's hard to it's hard to think about yourself in five or ten years time yeah. um but that kind of long-term thinking is increasingly important for our well-being and um, so many other aspects of our lives thank you very much for this project well done on it uh, and thank you for telling us about it too i appreciate your time melissa pleasure lovely talking